0: OK. We have. Not much more coming up. I've given you back just about everything. I just, you should have gotten your solar projects back today. And the only thing is coming up. we've got three quiz, three quizzes. Quiz. seven is available through today, so if you haven't taken it yet, get there and take it sometime before the end of the day, today, that'll be available. Quiz eight: tentatively scheduled for May 3rd. How can it be tentatively scheduled for May 3rd? That's the last day of class? Well, I want to make sure we get through everything. So I'm going to go through work on cosmology today. We may not quite finish it. I may have to finish that on Thursday. (coughs) If I don't have time to get through everything I want to, I may give it to you with the final. I've already told you what it's going to be. List the sun through the planets in order, plus a star, one star, and one galaxy, which will be clearly labeled. So it should be an easy 12 points for you. But if I can't get, if I don't have 10 minutes to spare at the end of class on Thursday because I want to get through the rest of life in the universe, then I'll probably give you that on with with the final next Tuesday, one week from right now. Yes. Uh, quiz seven, number
1: two. Yes. The picture
0: didn't even show up. Yeah, no. And I didn't. I email you. You emailed me, you right? Yeah, emailed me back. Yeah. To to check, yeah. It, didn't, it didn't even show up. Yeah, yeah. it's there now. Now once you told me, I fixed it. Did you get back in then even if you submitted the quiz already? No. I've already taken care of yours. There were two or three people that took it first. I've already taken care of it. Everybody else who takes it now, it shows up. So I I fixed it once you let me know. But yeah, that's taken care of. And then the other, the iTunes quiz is available and up now. You can take that anytime between now and next Tuesday. So anytime you can, if you really want to, you can take the final exam and then go take a quiz or you can get rid of it earlier, whenever you want to take that. And I do have it set up now. The grade book will actually drop two of your quizzes. So once you take all of these, that'll take off two of your your two lowest quizzes. And then, of course, as I already said, final exam May 8th, one week from today, here at 11.30 so seven days and half an hour from now you'll be having fun, right? I'm working on making it up. I've got a draft of it. I'm just gonna go through and finish that, but pretty much what I told you, study your first four exams. As of right now the questions are straight off those exams. I haven't gone through and fiddled with any of them yet. So right now I've got, the, I've got that part set and then the rest is going to be the new material on these last three chapters. Chapter 16, 17, and 18 will be the new material. So that's the only new material you have to study. Study your four old exams and the new material. And the only thing to remember on it, everything's double weighted because it's 200 points. So. Everything is double weighted. So each true false is two points. Each multiple choice is two points. Sort of a trade-off between doing that or giving you m- more questions. You know, I could make them worth less, but then I'd give you twice as many questions. Yeah? This is going to sound like an awkward question. But, um, the, since the finals were 300 points, that's likely about, about a quarter percent of our grade, about 25% of our grade, roughly? A um, little, little less, but yeah. So if you about 16%, think, I think, it comes I'm out to be. I'm trying too. to think negatively. Let's, let's say you bad on the exam. Mm-hmm. That'll drop you, like let's say you get a, an act. that'll drop you what, maybe a point, maybe a whole grade, grade and a half? Like? If you got a 50% on it, right. it would be, it would not quite drop you a letter grade. Okay. Not quite. I, 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 mean, just, I, I, I mean, hopefully you're not getting a zero on it. Nobody's going to get a zero on it, come on. Right. No, no, but, no, yeah. but yeah, unless you don't take it, you don't show up. I think it's <laughs> worst case scenario. What if you put yeah. your name wrong? Oh, there you go. <laughs> what, what if we submit it and don't put our name on it? <laughs> <laughs> It's a, when, when I noticed that when I printed stuff out. Certain things got printed out. And I'm looking at all these papers. Not, there's no name on this paper. Who is it? And I have to go back and search. And you think you know if get a 0? I don't. I think you, well, if you wanted to try, I think not know if you could get a 0 get if tried. you tried. <laughs> if you tried to get a 0, you'd have to know the stuff well enough that you could have passed anyway. <laughs> because if you don't know it well enough, that you're going to randomly get some of the questions, especially true-false. Come on, 50-50 chance. You better know them exactly. So. I don't think it'll crush you that much. I'm hoping that when I get the lab grades from Professor DeLisi, that'll help you. I don't know what, what sort of the grades sort of look like now, so I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, he, he, went on uh, uh, well, I okay. didn't think about the grades. He says our grade is basically going to end on the uh, term paper, which is due May 3rd. Okay. So, I guess that's when you Is know. that the graph yeah, the, gra- the Okay. HR okay. So, yeah, but I won't get anything from him probably till next week, so that is not included in anything I give you. So anything the grades that I have on D2L unless he gives me until he gives me the information I can't put that that in. So the two big things that are missing are that and the uh, final exam which is 40 out of which is you know a third of the grade. So it is a big chunk it can change things but if you do reasonably well where you've been doing it probably won't make a big difference. You know it's it's if you do really poorly like you did, never went to lab and you get a 0 out of 200 well phew, that's going to crush your grade. You know, if you were getting a B, it's going to crush you down, you know, a letter grade and a half. It's going to really hurt you. If you've been going to lab and you're, you're getting a B and you're getting about a B in lab, well, it's not going to make any big difference to you, pretty much. Other questions? Okay. Picture of the day for today. Actually, a video. I'm going to play it here in a couple minutes. Um, about this, explaining about the Higgs boson, which is a. a, a A theorized elementary particle, you may have heard of it as like the god particle, so it's a very important one. If it exists, that's the whole big thing. We don't know if it exists. Right now we know of, I think it's 12 subatomic particles, and that's going down to the littlest things. That's talking about electrons. That doesn't count. Protons and neutrons aren't aren't the basic particles. They're actually made up of quarks. So there's six different kinds of quarks that we know of. There's electrons. There's some different neutrinos. There's a total of about 12 particles that we know. And I'm going to go ahead and play this. It's going to take about seven and a half minutes to play. But because it kind of ties into our understanding of the universe and cosmology that we're doing, I want to go ahead and take the time to go ahead and play, play through it for you. But it's a very interesting, I mean, if this particle exists and the Large Hadron Collider that they're working on, that they're is doing tests, is trying to detect, this is the particle that it's trying to detect. So I'm going to go ahead and play this. And then we'll go on and do the rest of, our, rest of our lecture. Interesting, it does kind of lead into what we're talking about, I mean, in terms of cosmology and in the universe. So it's very interesting in terms of that particle. So yeah? So are they saying um, the, the Higgs boson? Mm-hmm. it's what sort of um, makes whatever's on the menu like right. It sort of gives, it, it, it applies, it's the way I'm understanding it, and I'm not, I'm not a nuclear physicist or sub- I mean, I'm a subatomic particle person, so I don't really know as much about it as I could. But it has something to do with what gives it the mass. It's, you know, it's the quality of the particles that gives them the mass. So it's another particle that exists, or that can exist, or that we can see the particle. There's a field and a particle. It's so is it always present? In, in the field is supposed to be, if I'm understanding right, the field is supposed to be present that there's a Higgs field, and then the particle can be, if with enough energy, you can, get the, you can create the particle. You don't actually, the particle just isn't necessarily you know, easily visible any more than you know, the quarks aren't really easily visible. You know, they're made up, everything that we have is made up of quarks because you take three quarks to make a proton, three quarks to make a neutron. You know, they're all over us, but you don't detect. The, you need a certain amount of energy to get them out of that. So hopefully that helps. I say I'm no expert on this <laughs> on this topic. So other questions? Okay. Well, let's go on to see how far I can get we can get through on 17 today. We were here last time, we were looking at the density of the universe, so density of particles in the universe. And what that tells us is first of all, there's, you know. Two different things that can happen to the universe is what we were talking about last time. It's expanding. We know it's expanding from Hubble's law, right? All the galaxies are getting further away. We know that there is an expansion. That's definite. What's going to happen is what we don't know. We don't know if it's got a low density, not very much gravity, everything's moving apart so fast it just keeps expanding forever. That's one possibility. It's expanding fast enough and it's sort of like launching the rocket from Earth with enough velocity, it's gone. It's not coming back. will be slowing down but it will never actually come back to Earth. The other possibility is that there's enough matter there, the Earth is massive enough that it pulls that rocket back and it doesn't escape and it comes right back down to Earth or in the case of the universe, the universe expands to some limit, gravity takes over, pulls it back together and boom! Collides back together at some, at some point. So those are the two possibilities and that's kind of what we were looking at a little bit Last time when when we finished up, so it depends on how much matter there is in the universe, how much mass is around. And if we look right now, if we look at normal matter, you know, the stuff that we're made up of, the stuff that we've studied so far, with all the galaxies, the stars are all made up of the same type of matter, you know, what we call normal matter. There isn't near enough matter. Maybe a fraction, a couple, couple percent of what you'd need. You know, two, three, four percent of what you'd need to actually get the universe to stop, to stop expanding and start collapsing. There isn't very much matter, real matter, in the universe, ma- normal matter. Dark matter is something we talked about, and that's something else we'll look at in a minute. Now what this can do is that if we have this, um, what this, sh- this is the shape of the universe. So what does the universe look like? And again, like last time, you've got to go down a dimension, because we can't look at three dimensions and imagine what? things look like. As being three-dimensional creatures, we can't imagine a fourth and a fifth dimension and how things are shaped. So we take everything down a dimension. So you imagine it as a two-dimensional universe. So it could be a flat piece of paper. could be round spherical like the Earth. And that sort of helps you in terms of understanding the different shapes. In reality, it's multi-dimensional. We just can't you know, wrap, our heads around, wrap our heads around it. So there are three different possibilities. Closed universe simply says that the universe is closed. That there is, it's going to collapse. There's enough material in there that eventually everything's going to come back together. That's what we call a closed universe. The other extreme would be an open universe. These are the two that we just looked at. Closed, open, expands forever. So that open universe is expanding and it's going to keep expanding and it's going to keep expanding and it's going to keep going on forever. There's not enough gravity, not enough matter in the universe to ever stop that expansion. And Right in between, is what we call a flat universe. Flat universe would simply be the borderline between the two. That you could have exactly enough, you're just expanding, just enough energy to expand forever, but you're slowing down, slowing down, slower and slower, and after an infinite amount of time, you'd stop. Well, you can never get to an infinite amount of time, so you're expanding forever. So it does expand forever, but it constantly slows down. It's sort of a critical, what we call the critical density. If there's just exactly enough matter that as it's gotten an infinite amount, infinite distance away at an infinite amount of time, then it would actually stop. But you'll never get there, so it'll never actually, it'll slow down slower, 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 slower as it goes. So those are three different geometry is what we'd say we could have for the universe. You could have have a better marker than that. You could have a closed You could have a closed universe, a flat universe, or an open universe. A closed universe would be that the density of matter, how, how much matter there is in the universe, is What we call large would be larger, or it would be too small if it's an open universe, and it would be exactly equal to the critical density. Critical density is just exactly the borderline between those two cases. It's right at the edge. It's not quite open. It's not quite closed. Yeah. The fla- they'll, the, the, they'll, well, According to this, they'll all slow down, right? Gravity is always going to slow them down. These ones, the open one, will just keep expanding, keep expanding forever, going at some speed. This one, it's, it's the bo- this is just the border case between these two. If you add a little bit of matter, if you could add more and more matter to the universe, things would slow down more and more, right? Add more matter, it's going to slow down a little bit more. If we could add more matter, it would be a little bit more. Eventually, you get to the point where you add enough matter that it stops expanding. That's this case. That's just where it just stops. But instead of taking you know, 5 billion more years or 10 billion more years to slow down and stop, it takes you know, 300 trillion years times 300 trillion years. You know, it's slowing down and slowing down and slowing down and just constantly going slower and slower. It's almost going to stop, it's almost going to stop, but it never quite does it. And if you could go for an infinite amount of time, it would. So they are very close in terms of what happens they're going to do the same thing but this is just one special case of having an exact val- of having the exact value it's kind of the border between the two so the density that you're looking at there, it's just it's just a critical density so there's only exactly one density you can have to have a flat universe now what do they look like the shape and again we're going down a dimension but the closed un- the closed universe in a as we'd look at it, would be more spherical. So a spherical shape. Think of it, you know, the surface of ball, surface of the balloon expanding, as you think of it like that. A flat universe would be flat shaped, a piece of paper. Think of it that way. Very, very flat. You can think of that paper flat. You can think of rolling it into a ball, making a ball out of it. It would be the same material that you're making it out of, but you're either looking at it as a very flat piece of paper, or you're putting it into a shape of a sphere, or you're putting it into the shape, if you're open universe, in the shape of a saddle. So saddle shape saddle shapes. So it just expands, it goes outwards forever. Now it wouldn't have any specific size. They'd go on, you know, they'd go on forever if you imagine this sheet of paper going out forever. So those are the three different possibilities that you can get that the universe could look like it could be spherical could be flat and could be saddle shaped and some of the things that it does if you look if you've ever taken you know an international flight and you've flown you know from this one showing like Los Angeles to London well you don't fly by by New York you go way up over Greenland and northern Canada if you fly from you know somewhere over here on the east coast from New York to Japan you don't fly over Hawaii Seems like you would, right? You'd fly a direct line right to Hawaii. It's not. The shortest path is actually goes up over Alaska. So if you fly to Japan from around <coughs> here, you actually go up over Canada and Alaska and down. That's the shortest route because of the way the sphere is shaped. And you get some interesting things in terms of the triangles. If you add up a triangle on a sphere, you know, triangles add up to 180 degrees, right? All the, well, that's Euclidean geometry. That's flat geometry. You can do geometry on a sphere. Some of the things are different though. When you add up on an angles of a triangle on a sphere, you can actually get, here you've got a triangle with three right angles. That's more than 180 degrees, right? That's 270 degrees. You can actually have larger angles when you draw that triangle on, the, on, the, on a sphere. What you don't see is when you look at it close, you know, if you look at a little portion of the sphere, you don't really see the difference. So a lot of the things that we look at, everything looks flat to us. Because if you look at a tiny portion of that sphere, you know, usually on the Earth, you don't notice the curvature of the Earth. You've got to get way up to be able to see it. If you go up, you go up, in the, go up to the space station, yeah, you can, te- you can tell the Earth is curved. But seeing it from the surface of the Earth, it's very difficult to tell what the curvature is like. And the same thing, we're looking at a very small portion of the universe. And what we can see you know, right now looks flat. It looks flat, but there isn't near enough matter to explain why it looks so flat, so that's one of the problems. It looks flat, it looks like there's, you know, it's pretty much going just going out forever. Not, not, expand, not, not expanding too fast, not slowing down that much, but there's not enough matter to explain what we see. So if we think about a closed universe, and again, a closed universe like the surface of a balloon, surface of the Earth, Well, you can sit there and you can walk here and I can start walking one direction and just keep walking in the same direction and eventually I'll come right back here again. I'll probably get quite wet (laughs) along the way, you know, as you have to go through the oceans. But if you could, if you you did it on the moon, you know, go go to the moon, start walking one direction and just keep going, you'll come right back to where you started. The same thing would happen in a closed universe. If you travel in one direction, you travel out this way. Keep going for a long time, long time, long time. Come around and come back. You'll come right back from where you started, from the other direction. You could do the same thing with a light beam. You send a light beam out. It'll come back or go around the universe. Come right back to you. Hit you in the back. Problem is, how big is the universe? How long is it going to send that light beam now? How long is it going to take that light beam to get back? Yeah. But the idea, the concept, is still there. You'll travel, keep going. And you'll come right back where you started. That would be the idea of a closed universe. An open universe or a flat universe wouldn't have this. You know, you go out in one direction and you keep going in one direction. You know, it just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. If you head out in that direction in the universe, you're just going to keep going. You're never going to come around back. But that's one of the properties of a closed universe when you sort of put it on, put it, wrap everything up into a sphere. Yeah, question, sir. Is there, um... There is. I'm going to show you in a, in a minute here. So, sort of what I'm going to tell you on the next few slides. I got a bunch of text ones coming up for you here. So, what matters is we've got to find out what the density of the universe is in order to find out. Question. I'm sorry. No. Yeah. Let me go back. Or sure. Uh mm-hmm. stuff If you could see something back that far, it's, it would be, a, if, if the universe were that small. The universe would have to be that small and that's probably a lot smaller than we think the universe is now. But yeah, technically, yes, if it were that small you could be looking back and you know, if you're looking around, are you, see, are you seeing yourself? You know, that light traveled? Yeah, but the size of the universe would be an issue. I think it's too big. It's too, we think it's a lot bigger than what we see. Okay, let me go back there. So what we do when we measure it, we measure the universe, we measure how much matter there is. And the first thing we measure is count up all the material we can see, count up all the stars, count up all the galaxies. Okay, that's what we can see, you know, we can figure out how many stars there are. We can can add it up. You know, how many stars, how many galaxies, we saw some of those plots I gave you last time, look at all the galaxies there are, how much matter there is. Well if we do that calculation, and measure it, we find it's only a couple percent of what you would need. How much matter you would need to actually stop the expansion. How fast things are moving now, how much gravity you would need to slow that down. It's only a couple couple percent. So it's not near enough matter. We're not seeing near enough matter in what we can see. Again, luminous matter. That's the stars, the galaxies, the nebulae, all the stuff we've been talking about all class. Now I did mention, we did talk last time about dark matter. Okay. There's a lot of dark matter out there. If you remember I told you within a galaxy there's a lot of dark matter, within galaxy clusters there's even more. So that hel- That can help. That could be part of what we're missing if we want to think of a closed universe. There's, we've got to find more matter to account for it. We have to find more matter in order to slow down everything enough to eventually stop the expansion. So again, that's what we're trying to find. We're looking at how, what the density is of the universe. We have to find all the matter. So, we easily count what we see, that we can get. That's easy. It's harder to try to count this dark matter. We have some ways of getting estimates on it. We looked at it in terms of the gravitational lensing and all of that, that we could find. So, if we estimate, if we take all the dark matter that needs to, we need to keep galaxies together. So, each galaxy has a certain amount of dark matter, so much more matter around it. If we look at the galaxy clusters and how much dark matter we need to keep those bound together so that they're not flying apart. If we take all the gravitational lensing that we see, that gives us a measurement of the dark matter. We can get a a better value which is about 30% of the critical density. You're still missing a lot of matter if you want, if you want, if you think the universe is closed there's still a lot of matter between what we see which is about 3% and still even adding in all the dark matter that we know is there because we can see its effects on gravity, it still only brings us up to about 30% of what we need. So 30% of what you would need to actually have a closed universe. It's not very good possibility that there's anything else out there that's going to explain. It's not like it's getting you 98%, where's the other 2% we need? 30%. You know, you're not close, you're not even close. It's not, like said, it's not like you're just up there with, oh, we're so close. Where is that extra little bit of matter that we're missing? Now, there's no reason that you have, a lot of people like the idea of a closed universe. You know, it makes sense. Oh, it expands and it contracts. And, exp- you know, it's just sort of, some people like it conceptually because it makes a lot of sense rather than it just keeps going forever. You know, conceptually, but there's no reason that it has to be an open, a closed universe. And we're not seeing that right now. I'm going to show you one more in a minute here. One more thing that gets us, helps a little bit and that we're going to see is what it looks like. At least our portion of the universe looks very, very flat. So it even has more density than what we're seeing, seeming to be able to add up. It looks like our universe looks a lot flatter than it should based on how much matter there is, matter there is here. Okay? Now, how do we measure the distances? Well, remember the type 1 supernovae. Type 1 supernova, we all remember what they were? The white dwarf star that blew up. They're a very good way to measure distant, measure how far away distant galaxies are. Because they're always a white dwarf star, they're always exactly 1.4 times the mass of the Sun, right? Because that's the instability limit. So we know exactly what they are like. So they all form under the same process by the same process. So they're all going to blow up and the same doing this exactly the same thing, so they should all get just as bright. Why should this one be any different? Why should this 1.4 solar mass white dwarf be any different than this 1.4 be any different than this one? Or they should all be the same. There's no reason they should be different. So they should all get just as bright. So once we see one, we can measure the distance to that galaxy. That gives us the distance. That's one our best way of determining distances far out there without using Hubble's law. So, what we'd expect, right, got it, we're, we're expanding the galaxies out there, everything's pulling on them, so they should be slowing down, going slower and slower. If gravity is the only force acting, then as the galaxies get further away, every other galaxy, is receding from them, it's moving away, but every other galaxy is tugging on it, so it's going so fast now and it's a little bit slower and a little bit slower and a little bit slower as it slows down, as it goes through. Then we would expect that when we look out in the past, which we're doing when we do in astronomy, when we look at those very distant galaxies, we see the speed. The most distant galaxies should be receding the fastest, right? Because they'd be slowing down, and the newer, the more recent ones, the closer to us, would be going slower and slower. So that's what we—that's what you'd expect to see. So they would look like their Hubble's law should be—it would be a nice straight line. Remember, I told you that's not—you know—that's ideal. Things are going to be slowing down, you know, things might have been going faster in the past, gravity slowing down. So it really shouldn't be exactly a straight line. You should be seeing that things in the past were receding faster. So a long time ago, things would have been receding, going, moving away faster and faster. And as we get closer and closer and closer, things should be slowing down. That makes perfect sense because gravity is slowing them down. Unfortunately, perfect sense doesn't always work, isn't always what we get. And in fact, we find quite the opposite effect is what's occurring. If we actually measure them here, here's Hubble's law. Okay? And if we look at nearby galaxies, everything is here. And what we should see in this graph, as you get further and further away, this is showing the shift that we see from Hubble's law versus the distances determined. You know, if it were perfectly Hubble's law and everything were going straight, it would go right on that right straight, nice right straight line in the middle. If everything were following exactly Hubble's law. If things are slowing down, They should veer to the left-hand side, be decelerating. If they're speeding up, they go to the right-hand side. And if you look at all the dots there, yeah, there's a big variation, but almost everything is to the right. Almost every observation that has been done says that, no, the universe isn't decelerating, it's accelerating. The galaxies a long time ago were receding slower. Than the ones today, than than the more recent past. So things have actually started accelerating. What's pushing the universe apart? So not only is it getting is it expanding, but it's expanding faster and faster. That's what our current measurements are telling us. It's going faster and faster and faster than it was before. So it would have been moving slower. So what is causing? So what is overtaking? What kind of anti-gravity is out there that is shoving the universe apart? Making it go faster is strong enough not only to match gravity and stop and keep it even, just going at a constant rate, but to actually keep it going faster. Why is it, acceler- why is it accelerating? It's not something we expected when we were looking at this. You expected to find, OK, it's decelerating, and is it enough to close the universe or not? But that's not what we found. Every, almost every observation there, if you look at all those black dots there, a couple around the line, one or two of those are slightly over towards decelerating. But the overwhelming majority is way off to the right hand side. Is way off there saying that we are living in an accelerating universe. So one way to explain that is what we call a new thing that's come up in the last what has it been now about not even 15 years ago was dark energy. So we had dark matter and now there's believed to be what we call a dark energy that is out there in the universe that sort of permeates the universe as well that is actually a cause for a pressure, something pushing them apart. Now this actually comes from Einstein's equations. His equations of the cosmology of the universe will actually allow for what they call a cosmological constant. Now if you've done some, if you've ever taken calculus, how don't know if anyone's taken calculus. A couple? Okay. When you do an integral there's always a constant. Right? You can always add a constant to it because when you go backwards that constant disappears. And you do the same thing in Einstein's equations. There's always there's a constant that could be added to them. He put it in in the first place when he did the equation. said, oh, well, at the time when he was doing this, the universe was static. It wasn't changing. So he put the constant in to make everything work out. Then when he found out that the universe was expanding, well, that's the biggest blunder he ever made. Why did I put that constant in there? I didn't need to. I could have predicted that the universe was expanding. But depending on the value of that constant, you can either have, you know, a nice flat universe. You can have a negative value which collapses the universe. Or you can have a positive value where the universe expands forever. So depending on how big that constant is, the universe could be expanding forever. There should be some sort of pressure in the universe that is actually accelerating it and causing it to expand apart. And that's what we're calling the dark energy. And again, that's something relatively new. I think it was 90. 8 that it first came up with, so it's been just like, four, just like 14, 14 years or so. That they've come up with this as the explanation, as some way of explaining what what is going on here, why the universe is accelerating. And We have to come up with something, to some sort of theory to explain it and hopefully future observations will help us to better understand what's going on. Okay, so what have we seen? I'm going to take a little aside here before we go back to the edge of the universe. The cosmic microwave background. Discovered in 1964, so we've known about that for, oh, what is it, 48 years now? Um, Found quite by accident. A lot of things are, you know, a lot of things in science are found by accident. You don't just sit there, go looking for things, usually. Usually the big discoveries are, you know, we're doing something else. And what happened was these two astronomers, uh, Penzias and Wilson, actually, went through and they had this big radio telescope, which you can see behind them, and they were trying to get rid of the noise. They were just trying to get very sensitive measurements and they were trying to get rid of all the last little bit of noise, account for everything they can get, any interference they can get on Earth, any interference they're getting from space. And they were trying to get rid of that so they could make the most accurate observations. And they found a source of noise that they couldn't, that came from every direction, wherever they looked, they saw the same noise in their radio telescope. Whatever time they looked, they saw the same noise. You know, if it were just something in space or something, you know, you'd you see it rotating with the Earth. You'd see something there. This is coming from all directions, all space, all space, all time, and it's always the same. And what it was found that they were detecting was sort of the remnants left over from the Big Bang. The Big Bang Theory makes the prediction that there'd be this, there'd be this radiation permeating the universe. So it's a prediction that the Big Bang made. It says, okay, this theory says that you know, if this is correct, then there'll be this radiation. Whereas the other theories at the time, you know, we were still going back. You know, we knew the universe was expanding, but we didn't know if it was expanding constantly forever. If there was an initial explosion, you know, what happened? This was just one way to differentiate between the, between the theories. So they were able to find that, you know, their observations here. Did they prove the Big Bang theory? No. Can't prove it, can't prove it right, but you can prove another theory wrong. If another theory says there should not be any radiation and you detect it, you can, you can disprove another theory and you can confirm the Big Bang. Can't guarantee it's right, maybe there's something else. We'll find another prediction it makes down the road that'll get thrown out. Well, that's possible. But it does confirm, It did confirm it, and that's our, currently our best theory for the origin of the universe. And that's what they were able to detect here. And again, it was just, it was you know, quite by accident. All they, they weren't looking for it. They didn't go looking for it. They went to just, okay, I want to get rid of all the last little bit of noise. We want to get the most accurate observations we can. And we couldn't get this one. But why? It's coming from everywhere. You know, it's not associated with something here on Earth. It's not associated, you know, we, we detect it in different, different, in different directions. It's not something in space because that position would change with the position of the Earth. If It was just one source in space. But it's coming from everywhere. So everywhere you look in the sky, you see the same thing. So what we see, and again, this was very, very early in the history of the universe, like about one second worth, so the first second of the universe we're talking, and extremely high energy. So the universe was incredibly hot at the time, and what formed were gamma rays, right? It's real hot, You know, billions upon billions of degrees, well, you form gamma rays. So. The curve that you'd have seen then, if you were around one second after the universe was formed, the universe would have been flooded with gamma rays. and Gamma rays throughout, all over it. That would have been the remnant of the explosion when everything first formed. Over time, the expansion of the universe has shifted them. Red shifted them, right? The universe got bigger, and not only do you shift things further away, but you stretch out the wavelengths of the light. So as this light has traveled to get to us from, you know, Almost 14 billion years ago? Well, after a certain amount of time, after 100,000 years, it would have stretched it from gamma rays down to visible light. Meaning that, go back 100,000 years after the Big Bang, not 100,000 years ago, but 100,000 years into the universe's formation, the universe would have been bright. It would have been glowing bright all over in visible light. So to our eyes, it would have been incredibly bright. Again, we're still well before anything has formed yet. But the universe would have been you know, filled with optical light. Ten million years later, it would have shifted off to the infrared. So at that point, you could have looked up, you could have looked up at the sky. You know, if there were planets that had formed that, nothing formed that early, but if there were planets and galaxies and you could look up, the universe would be very, very bright in the infrared. Now it's in the radio. There's this radio radiation that permeates the entire universe. And it fits almost exactly with what we see. It's exactly the prediction that the Big Bang makes that you would have had some sort of high-intensity radiation that would have slowly dropped off over time to what we see today. And it corresponds to the temperature that we see. Now it's a temperature of about three degrees. So space is not absolute zero. You know, zero degrees Kelvin is as absolutely as cold as you can get. Well, space itself, even out in space, is still three degrees. It was hotter. You know, it was thousands of degrees here, more thousands of degrees, you know, th- two, three thousand degrees here, five or six thousand degrees here, you know, many millions to billions of degrees early on, and it's slowly cooling off over time, and that's part of what is shifting this this down. Now it corresponds to a temperature throughout the universe of about three degrees. When we measure it. You know, not, 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 all our, not all our graphs look nice, not nice and accurate, right? You know, Our solar observation ones didn't, if you compared numbers to numbers, it did, didn't really look that good. You know, everything's fitting here. There's a theoretical curve in blue. And the observations that we've made at different frequencies, you know, very, very low frequencies out here, very, very long wavelength radiation to shorter, here's the peak in the radio part of the, that the radio microwave part of the spectrum and further out. And it fits very, very well. It fit almost perfectly. So it really looks like that tells us that the universe at some time, many billions of years ago, was incredibly hot and has since cooled off. And that's all we're seeing today is the remnant of that left over. But you can see, I mean considering the measurements there, that's very, very accurate and fits that curve extremely well. You know, not just close to it, not oh, like when we were looking at those ones for the expansion and is the universe accelerating? Well there were a bunch of dots here and some here and all that. This is almost, almost perfect measurements, almost exactly. Fits it very, very well. So, as, we, as the universe cooled, it was very, very hot. Had to be very hot to be... gamma rays cooled off down into, the, into that, into the radio waves that we see today, that fake up the background. That means very early in the universe, it would have been dominated by radiation. So for the first, uh, what do we got, 10,000... Little less than not uh, quite 150,000 years or so, roughly. For that first little bit, it was dominated by radiation. Density of radiation was bigger than the density of matter. As the universe expands, those go down. So it became matter dominated. Okay, that's getting close to where we are today. There's you know 10 billion years, age of the universe. So we'd actually be out somewhere. See, time after Big Bang, if we're at about 14 billion years, you know, we're just a little bit past this mark right now. So we're actually out of the matter dominated area. Matter density has gotten lower and lower. And what's taking over is what we call this dark energy. And this is that pressure, that's something that is causing the universe to expand. Its density was very low in the early history of the universe. But it doesn't change. It stays the same. So now, as matter and energy become matter and radiation become less and less important, it starts to become the dominant thing in the universe. And it's actually causing the universe to accelerate. So the universe would have been expanding much slower. When there was you know, matter dominated, it would have been you know, maybe slowing down a little more. It wouldn't have been moving quite as fast. Now that dark energy is taking over, it becomes more and more important. And by the theory, it's only going to become even more important. So the universe is not only expanding, it's accelerating. But that dark energy is going to become more and more important as you get further out in the universe. So come back in another 10 billion years and you know, are we accelerating even faster? Yeah? Are there any uh, theories as to why dark energy made such a big comeback? What do you mean it made such a... Like, um, is it affecting more than one before? It's just, it's just, it's sort of uniform throughout the universe. So it's its so it's, always its It's always been there. It was here. But here? It didn't matter much because you had this incredible density of radiation and this incredible density of matter. Well, dark energy was nothing, but they're slowly decaying, and it's just sort of sitting there. So it's you know it's just sort of sitting there waiting and wait. it's waiting its turn, right? Okay, I just sit there and wait. All I got to do is wait 10, 20 billion years, and I'm going to be in, to be dominant, and that's what's happening here. These are slowly going down, and as you can see, they're going con- to continue. They'll go down and down and down, and dark energy stays there. So it'll dominate and then that would mean so expanding apart even even faster. It becomes more and more dominant. Okay, formation in the early universe. Boy, this should look familiar, right? Ah, we don't want to go back there. I know, okay. That's the proton-proton chain. We looked at that. So, what would have formed in the early history of the universe? We would have taken Protons and neutrons would have been the first thing to form once the universe got cool enough. Okay? When it's too hot, too much energy, you, know, you can't form even a proton. Protons keep breaking apart. Now if you think about that, we talked about that a little bit when we talked about stars. And we looked at the spectra of the stars and we talked about the very cold stars had the molecules. Remember all this? Okay. Cool stars had molecules. Hot stars didn't. Right? Why? Because those hot stars are moving, everything they're moving around too fast and the molecule forms and it breaks apart immediately, it never lasts. Cool star, they last longer. Same thing happened in the early universe. When it was extremely hot, there was enough energy, you're looking at that Higgs-boson stuff today. Well, you had enough energy that not only was this proton not able to form, it just had the, you know, the, you would have had the quarks, you would have had a big soup of quarks. There was too much energy there for them to stick together. As things cooled off, and they did very quickly, then you'd finally get quarks to be able to stick together and you'd be able to form protons and neutrons. Once you form protons and neutrons, think about this, that entire um, universe at one point would have been you know, 20 million degrees, 10 million degrees, 15 you know, temperature of the sun, core of the sun. Well, the whole universe was a giant star. What happens when you hit 15 million degrees or 10 million degrees? You could start doing this. You can start fusing protons and neutrons together make deuterium, make helium. So you can actually create helium. The whole universe would have been a giant star. So you formed, once it got cool enough, you could form (laughs) protons and electrons. You could form hydrogen. Beyond that, as it still was cooling off, now it's cooling off very quickly, so this happened very, very fast, a certain amount of that hydrogen would have had time to convert into helium. So a certain amount of the hydrogen would have been converted into helium. And that would have been through the same process we talk about in terms of the center of a star. The same sort of thing would have happened. It would have fused, you know, neutron, proton, fused together, make deuterium, two of those, f- make helium-3, three, helium-3, three, helium-4. You would have done the same kind of thing and formed helium. So that sort of creates what we know about in the universe. We created a lot of hydrogen. Very simple, easy to form, right? All you gotta do is get the quarks to combine and you form hydrogen. You form protons and neutrons, you can form hydrogen. Electrons would have been very basic particles, like the quarks. They're one of the very elemental ones. So they would have been able to have formed. They would have been there. And then we were able to fuse some of the, start fusing some of them together. But it would cool off very quickly. The universe was cooling off very fast. So you'd have that hydrogen fusion going on. We formed some helium, about you know, 75% hydrogen, about 25% helium. At that point, it sort of cooled off too fast. So it cooled off fast enough that you couldn't go anyplace else, right? Remember we could fuse helium to do carbon, but you need higher temperatures. Well, higher temperatures occurred earlier in the universe. So by the time we actually made the helium, it had cooled off too much to fuse helium. So you couldn't actually make any other elements in it. By the time things cooled off enough that you could actually, oh, we've got some helium, we could start fusing helium together to make carbon and oxygen and make all these other good elements, you weren't able to. You weren't able to because the temperature now was too cold, maybe it was only 15 million degrees. You need 100 million to fuse the helium together. One of the things you form in this is deuterium. Deuterium is hydrogen with one proton and one neutron. Most of that fused almost immediately. A little bit that was left is what we still see today. Deuterium is something that you cannot form in a star. Well, you can. We talked about it in terms of forming uh, deuterium down deep in the core of a star. But it never gets out because deuterium fuses at a much lower temperature than hydrogen. So you only need a very low temperature to get rid of all the deuterium. So any deuterium that we see around today, which is the hydrogen with a proton and a neutron instead of just a single proton, must have been formed in the or- at the origin of the universe when this, when this uh, nucleosynthesis, this creation of elements was going on early on. Question? Right now? Okay. I you started to raise your hand, OK. So deuterium, deuterium was formed. So what we see in deuterium today, if it's formed in a star, it'll be gone before it can ever get out of the star. It'll eventually fuse. It only takes a couple million degrees, not the 10 million degrees it takes to actually fuse hydrogen. Deuterium will actually fuse a lot quicker. So what do we see? Well, you're looking back in time here, You know, looking back to the edge of the universe. And this is what we see as, what we can see, this is where we're seeing the cosmic background radiation. Coming from all directions, so at some distance from the Earth. And what it is, think of how to do this the best. When you talk about early on, we formed the nuclei, while this was going on, we were forming nuclei. We had electrons and we had nuclei. It was too hot for them to combine. Okay? Those very high temperatures, at the core of the sun, there are no hydrogen atoms. There's hydrogen, protons. There's electrons floating around. But there's no hydrogen atoms. It's too hot for them to actually combine and the electron to orbit. It keeps getting ripped off. So it could never actually combine. That's what the early universe was like. Until you got to a cool enough temperature, when it cooled off enough as it expanded, at a certain time it cooled off enough that all of a sudden, electrons combined to hydrogen atoms. And we call that decoupling. So sort of matter and energy were one early on and they decoupled. At this time, as the electrons start to combine, all of a sudden, the universe becomes transparent. And boom, light starts traveling through it. So you can actually see the remnants of this is what we're seeing as the cosmic background radiation. So out in this area, and again, you're thinking of this as looking looking out in distance or looking back in time. When you're looking back this far, you can't see anything. The universe wasn't transparent. It didn't let light travel through it as photons absorbed. They were constantly absorbed by these part- particles. All the energy was absorbed and re-emitted and absorbed and re-emitted. Sort of like we don't see the surf. We can't see the center of the Sun, right? None of that energy gets out to see us directly. It gets out indirectly. Well this, what we see is the microwave background is when all of a sudden when the temperature got cool enough that you went from having nuclei, proton, electron here, to having an atom. Boom. An atom going. Or atom going. Once you do that, all of a sudden that radiation was free to travel through the universe. The universe became transparent that we see today. You know, we can look out there and see it. And that's the remnant that we see of the background radiation. Is when those electrons, when the nuclei and the electrons combined together. And again, that was forming hydrogen, forming helium, pretty much nothing else. That's all that formed early, early on in the history of the universe. Everything else that we have, you know, the desktops, us, All the other elements, the carbon, the oxygen we're breathing, uh, gold, mercury, anything else that you see, formed in stars later on. Formed through the process that we looked at in terms of supernovae. The only thing that would have formed very early in the history of the universe was the hydrogen and the helium. Okay, now cosmic inflation. Um, Cosmic inflation is, well, first of all, let me do the two problems, then we'll come into we'll come into that. One of the problems that we see when we look at this, we look out at the universe, and we look in this direction, and we see the cosmic microwave background radiation. You know, 14, 15 billion years ago, it's been traveling to get to us, and we see some level of radiation. When we look in the opposite direction of the sky, 15 billion years that way, we see the same thing. Now one of the problems can be is that why is it so smooth? Why is it the same there as it is there? You know, those two, you know, usually when you have something, if you put something hot out, you know, have something that was heated, and it will slowly cool off, right? It'll slowly take time, but it will look different, it would look different in the different directions. It wouldn't necessarily be the same because this side has had no time to talk to that side and tell it how hot it is. Right? This side is so many degrees. And it's not. remember, it's not just a little bit. It's exactly the same. So this side has had no time to communicate with that other side, because if we're 15 billion years here and 15 billion years there, well, that's 30 billion years. Light hasn't had travel time in the history of the universe to travel between those two. And if we're looking as we are at a, probably an open universe, you know, there's no way to communicate. Those two shouldn't be able to communicate with each other. So how do they know, how does A know how hot B is? And how does B know how hot A is when the light hasn't even gotten halfway there yet? Or just barely gotten halfway there because it's just coming to us? So it's the problem of looking at the horizon as far away as we can see, which is the background radiation. And even when you look in opposite directions, and not just two, you know, those two, those two, those two, look at all different directions, it's always the same. And if they're too close to each other, two that are close to each other, well, yeah, they've had time to you know, talk to each other, essentially. You know, Communicate, say, oh, we're so hot, it's so hot, it's so hot, and share their heat and smooth out. These two wouldn't have had time. There's no time in the universe that they could have gotten close together. Unless they were very, very close together a long time ago, and something happened to expand them faster than things are expanding right now. The other problem that we see is that what we call the flatness problem. And that's sort of the problem that, why is the universe still here? You know, why is there still a universe here? Because in order for it to have survived 15 billion years, then you know, we said the universe is either contracting. Well, it probably shouldn't have survived all that long. It would have had to have been incredibly flat. You know. And if you see the percentage there, you know, one in, what, one quadrillion? You know? Had to be that close, you know, not not just, you know, not just talking, oh, it has to be within one percent or a tenth of a percent or a hundredth of a percent, but one quadrillionth, you know, billionth, trillionth, even even smaller than that. It had to be that close early on in order for the universe to still look to be here today. Otherwise, if it's accelerating, accelerate out, boom, it should be long gone and we should be the only gal- our galaxy might be here, but that would you wouldn't see anything else. Everything else would have long since spread out and been way too far away to be visible or would have collapsed down. So why did our universe, why is our universe still here? So it had to be almost exactly, I mean that's that's pretty darn accurately flat. You know, I can't make a piece of paper that flat. You know, Try to measure, get, a, get an electron microscope and met the details of a piece of paper, it's not very flat, right? Sure looks like it to our eyes, but to try to look at that accuracy, you can't. You can't see anything that's that, you can't get it that accurate. But it is. That's how close, in order for our universe to have been here, this long ago, you know, there would have been little differences and they would have quickly, quickly changed. So it had to be, whether it's open or closed or critical, it had to be that close to the critical density At the, you know, early on. It had to be that close. So how we try to explain these is what we call cosmic inflation. So cosmic inflation just says, and if you've got to look at the time scales here, because this is incredibly compressed, you know, here's the Big Bang. Here's 10 to the minus 43rd seconds. If you can imagine that time, good for you. I can't come close to imagining 10 to the minus 43rd seconds. You know, we've had in the time it takes me to say one word, it's take it's take more than you know 10 to the 43rd of those. So it's an incredibly tiny amount of time. And that's essentially, that's an important time though, and that's the, the first, one of the first times we can actually know anything about. When you get further back than that, that first instant, you know, tiny instant, but very important because this is when all that stuff was going on that we've been talking about. But we can't know anything back beyond that. In this section, from 10 to the minus 43rd to 10 to the minus 35th, so I still can't even, you know, I can't even snap my fingers to give you an idea of how fast that is. That's an incredibly short amount of time the universe went from being you know size of a uh, nucleus you know tiny incredibly tiny in that instant it went from being that small to being universe size you know big still expanding now but it went from you know very very tiny almost nothing to an incredible incredible size in that little instant and in fact it expand by 10 to the you know, these numbers are you know way beyond anything i can possibly imagine 10 to the 50th times so it got 10 to the, didn't get 10 times bigger didn't get a hundred or a thousand or 10 or a million or a billion times bigger a billion would be 10 to the 9th so a billion billion 1 billion times a billion times a billion times a billion times a billion that's 10 to the 45th that's 5 billions multiplying each other and we're still not quite there That's how much the universe expanded in that instant. Instant instant is probably the best way I can say it because it's even shorter than what you can imagine as an instant. But that's what we think, that some parts of the universe might have done this for whatever reason. Why is another good question? Why did it do this? It explains a lot of what we see. Is it necessarily what happened? No, but it fits, it fits our observations that we've made so far. That everything that we see. And this explains those two problems that I was talking to you about. Because, I'll explain on the next slide, no, everything was so close together that it explains why we're only seeing a little tiny portion of, our, of the entire universe. We can't see the rest of it yet. The rest of it's out there maybe. We just can't see it because the light hasn't had time to travel because of this inflation. And this would have been inflating you know, much faster than the speed of light. You're going in a tiny fraction of a second, and you're going from things that are you know, um, atomic sized to things that are universe sized. So the whole universe would have expanded faster than the speed of light. So this solves those two problems. So here's the flatness problem. And what it says is that you expand that balloon, and you're a little ant there living on the balloon. If your balloon is 10 centimeters around, Well you could see you could see the you could walk around and see the curvature, right? Little ant could walk around that 10 centimeter balloon and see it. If you've got this nice, you know, wonderfully expansive balloon that never explodes on you, and you blow it up to a kilometer in size. Okay, there's still some curvature there. You can walk a long ways, and you know that poor little ant could walk a long ways and maybe get some idea of the curvature, but the universe starts to look very flat. Now, if you can imagine doing that. Not just, you know, those few times, but doing it ten to the fiftieth times? Well, you're only looking at a teeny tiny portion of that balloon. You know. It's like looking at, you know, a little segment, you know, a centimeter on the surface of the earth. Well, does it look flat? You know? That you're overwhelmed by other things, but you know, if it was the earth was nice and perfectly flat sphere, if you were looking at that tiny little piece of it, one centimeter, you're not going to be able to tell the difference as to whether it's flat or spherical or saddle shaped by that for that matter. You wouldn't be able to tell the difference. So this sort of explains we're only looking at this little tiny portion of the universe. So it looks fl- it would look flat. The whole universe might have some other shape. Maybe it is closed, maybe it is spherical. Maybe it is saddle shaped. But either way when you expand it that many times and you're stuck looking at this little tiny section, you can't tell the difference. It looks everything looks very flat to you. So that explains that's one of this, this is useful it explains why the universe looks flat. It will also explain, and did I do that? No. Let me go back and explain the other one too. It also explains you know, why the universe is you know, the same in all directions because early on for that instant everything was the same temperature. You had a little uh, something the size of a nucleus. Well, everything was in contact with each other so it had time. Right? You could communicate with one side to the other. It was only an instant. It only takes light and heat a tiny amount of time to travel that small, small distance. So everything would have been a uniform temperature, right? It would have communicated. All of a sudden you expanded it out greatly. So the temperature here is the same as the temperature here. It explains those two problems that we see. It explains this one. Why do things look flat? And it can also explain why this part of the universe is the same temperature as that part of the universe. Otherwise, you'd expect some fluctuations. You'd expect this part, well, so maybe this part is a little bit brighter. You know, Maybe something's 2 point, well, that's about 2.7 degrees. So maybe something 2.7, maybe it's 2.8, maybe it's 3. You know, it's, but it would be close, but it would be not be exactly the same. But we're seeing almost precisely the exact temperatures on every side, wherever we look in the universe. And inflation is what we use that tries to solve that problem. All right. Large-scale structure. That's where we started this chapter. We looked at the large-scale structure of the universe. Now we've got some basic understanding, if our heads haven't exploded a little bit, trying to get get our our minds around some of this. In terms of going back and looking, okay, how did we form this large-scale structure that we see? And The cosmologists, the astronomers, said that you really can't form Normal matter, there's no way normal matter will clump to form the structures that we see. No simulations that you can do will form the clumps of matter that we see. They're there, we know they must have formed, but they can't have formed just by normal matter. And because one of the big reasons is this here, is that before decoupling, remember decoupling is when the atoms started to form. No clumps could form. You have all this radiation. Everything constantly gets torn apart. So, if you try to form an atom, you try to form a clump of matter. Oh, you know, here, we're going to form a little clump. We're going to start to form a clump of matter. You've got all this intense radiation that just rips it right apart. So, everything would have been extremely uniform at the time. And if it wasn't, if there were clumps in it, then we should see that in the microwave background. We should see that, oh, there was this clump here. There was more matter here or more energy. You should see a higher temperature here, maybe a lower temperature here, maybe a different temperature here. You'd see slightly different temperatures around the universe depending on exactly where you looked. We don't see, we don't see that. We see it very, very uniform as we go through the universe. So early on, again, radiation would have kept anything from clumping, at least normal matter from clumping, together. So, the astronomers look at that and say, well, why do we have galaxy clusters? Why do we have all these clusters that we see? They must have been some way because gravity just hadn't had time to take effect unless there were, was some sort of clumping early, early on in the history of the universe. There's just no way you could have done that based on normal matter. It would have all been torn apart. It would have been smooth as of when things decoupled. Then it would have started to be able to form galaxies and clusters. But there isn't enough time in the universe now to have to have done that, and variations again would have led to variations in the microwave background. We don't see it. We don't see variations in the microwave background, so that's sort of the problem. There is why, you know, so how did we form this large-scale structure? So what we think, because of the way things expanded, that you might have formed some clumps little bit, but only slightly denser than their surroundings. So you're not forming things like stars and galaxies and planets and things that are many billions and trillions of billions and trillions times denser than everything else around them. So you're not forming anything like that. You're forming some very low level clumping. So you might have had some in normal matter, but the dark matter, and if you recall dark matter doesn't emit radiation, isn't affected by radiation, Remember we talked, you could could see it's gravitational effect, but you couldn't see it. Doesn't give us any light, doesn't absorb light. Light travels straight through it. Might get bent, but it travels straight through it. So dark matter is not affected by radiation. It would have started to clump in those very early, tiny fractions of a second. It might have started to clump together. And the question is, can we see that today? Can we see the clumping of the dark matter around Galaxies. Well, we looked at some of that. We looked at some of the clusters of galaxies and said, yeah, there's dark matter all around these clusters of galaxies. Maybe it's the dark matter that clumped together first, formed a gravitational instability that then allowed it to gather together the regular matter. So maybe the dark matter clumped together and formed, you know, the galaxy cluster where the material was. And then the light, the, the regular material, the stuff we're used to, everything we've studied up to this point in class, was able to clump around that. So dark matter, important that it's not affected by radiation. And we would have been able to see that clumping. So here's sort of an example on a simulation as to what you might see when you look very early on, you know, first few thousand years of the universe, the normal matter would have been uniformly distributed. Too much energy, too much intensity, that it couldn't clump together. Very slight clumpings. But the dark matter could have, and you could have started to form some darker areas, some darker areas, you know, some areas with more and more material. So after a thousand years, you started to form some clumps. You had some areas here where there's more matter, where there's more matter, where there's less dark matter. And then that continued. Once you form that instability, you know, just like a star forming, once the galaxy, once the star starts, the cloud starts to contract, it wants to continue. And you see a similar thing as you go towards here. This is at one second where everything's uniform. A thousand years, you start to see those instabilities. Well, when you get to a hundred million years later, the galaxies in normal matter—it's clumped together. That's the little bit we see, and the dark matter is all around them. So the dark matter started clumping first and kind of pulled everything together, and that explains what we see what we see today. And let me see what's next. This is an example of a simulation. Um, showing uh, what the universe might look like. And if you remember some of those images we looked at last time, it's very very similar. Yes, because of the way it's designed in a three-dimensional, it looks like there's a concentration towards the center. And that's more an effect of the way the simulation has to be done. But if you look in overall, you see some nice filaments of galaxies that travel out, and you see clumps of galaxies, and you see voids. So if we actually do a simulation that starts out with, you know, a relatively uniform box here and over 4 billion and then 14 billion years everything seems to condense together so it actually forms together to form the filaments and the voids and everything that we're seeing that we see today and let me see well i'll come back and finish this on next time this is essentially looking at this is looking at the temperature of the universe and i'm going to come back and sort of explain that Uh, Next time, I'm pretty much done with this chapter, and we'll finish up that, and then I'll be able to do 18 next time. So, if you haven't taken the quiz, make sure you get in and take the quiz today, because that'll close as of the end of the day. And then I will.